I genuinely like committed my life to it. It was all I thought about. It's all I did. Like my diet, everything just fully focused on doing it. And honestly, I couldn't wait for it to start because I was exhausted from the training. But getting into London and just before it, the buzz, the excitement of the event, honestly, it took hold. It took control so much so that I think the first day I did 80 kilometers in 12 hours, which... If people have ever run distances or ultras or marathons, they'll know that that is really quick. Hey guys, and welcome back to The Daily Hustle. Today we spoke with Andy Schofield. He's walked from London to Manchester to raise funds for one of our partner charities, Walking with the Wounded. Because of that, he was shortlisted for the Made in Manchester Awards. It was an absolute pleasure to speak to Andy today. We discussed lots of things around mental health recruitment, but also how to push yourself when things get tough. So without further ado, let's get started. Andy, it's so good to have you on the show. I met you at a place called CEO Sleepout. It was in Manchester. It was in very interesting conditions, I've got to say. We were sleeping out for the night, weren't we? And actually, this is the second time you've been on this podcast, because in the first one, you were with a few other guests doing one big podcast together. It was really, really great to meet you. And I was very inspired by what you've done in your career and throughout your army days as well. And what challenge you were setting yourself up for which we're going to discuss on this podcast of course yes but tell us a little bit about who you are what you do what brought you into this setting where we are right now firstly mate thank you so much for having me on again obviously I must have been all right the first time you invited me back which is not a not a bad thing but genuinely it's a privilege mate and honor to, to be on your podcast so i've listened to all of your podcasts uh, yeah. when I was training for that walk. <laughs> so <laughs> you've kept me company. I feel like I know you really, really well. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I work at Michael Page currently, a managing consultant there. I'm working across retail, so working with all kind of fashion, non-fashion retail clients, helping them find great candidates for their head office functions. Personally, mate, I'm, I'm kind of just a, a normal, average bloke. You know, I love sport. I've got a four-year-old little girl. So most of my time, if I'm not working, is, is taken up either in the gym or spending time and doing fun stuff with my daughter. I keep myself to myself and uh, work hard. Don't really play hard anymore. I think I'm a bit too old for that now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just like I said, just a, a normal bloke, mate, that tends to try and do random crazy challenges to push himself and push his boundaries. And that's what I really loved about you, actually, when we first met. I was just like, what? <laughs> and, and and this is the next thing, really, that we're going to talk about. So you walked from London to Manchester in December. It was during a big freeze as well that we had in December. It took you five days. Tell us about that experience. I had the idea a little while ago. So when I first started at Michael Page, they've got a charity board. And I've always been big into challenges, put myself up my comfort zone and raise money for charities that, that are close to my heart. So... I had the idea. I went to Michael Page with it and said, look, I want to raise some money for the charities on the board. 
I think they thought I was mental when I suggested that I walk from the, the, the London office to the Manchester office. But I, initially, I did say I'll do it in three days. So I can totally understand why they were like, okay, that's not going to happen. And then I met you on the CEO sleep out. Obviously, that, that came about because uh, Joel actually reached out to one of my managers at, at Paige. And she was like, another guy that will love to do the CEO sleep out. Passed it on to me. Joel and I hit it off straight away from walking the wounded. A great guy. We met up for, for a coffee that turned into a beer. And I just kind of called him after that and said, look, I've got this idea. It sounds mental, but this is what I want to do. And essentially, it was I went through quite a bad mental health period back in 2019, not long after the birth of, of my daughter. I've always been a fit guy, always gone to the gym, always played rugby, football, big circle of friends. And then 2019 hit a couple of months into the, into the year. I just started struggling, not really finding joy in anything. Withdrew, so stopped training, stopped playing rugby. Every time a friend or my family would get in touch, I'd just ignore the call. I wouldn't go back to the messages. I struggled most days just to get out of bed, if I'm, if I'm totally honest. I was kind of crippled with a, a mixture of depression and anxiety. And I just had this idea that I was a negative impact to everybody around me. So much so that, you know, I had a real big impact on my relationship then. I ended up moving out of the family home. And at that point, I, was, I felt you know, truly alone. And, and that's when the suicidal thoughts started to creep in a little bit. But then that quickly progressed to all-encompassing. It was all I could think about to the point where I'd planned it. I knew I was going to do it. I knew the note that I was going to leave. At that moment in time, I genuinely believed that it would be a positive thing for everybody else in my life that I wasn't there, including my daughter. You know, she was a few months old. And I just thought, well, actually, she won't have this influence of me in her life and she'll probably have a better life. Sometimes people, when they talk about suicide, say it's quite a selfish act. I totally disagree. At that time, it felt like a selfless act. It felt like I would help everybody else if I wasn't there. My brother managed to get me to the gym. He noticed that I'd not been training. He's a personal trainer. He owns yeah. his own gym. It's called Strong AF. Check it out. It's fantastic. And he noticed that I'd not been going to the gym, not been coming back to on calls, not been messaging him back, and was isolating myself. So he managed to convince me to go and train. I got in the gym and after a couple of minutes of training, he turned to me and said, look, Andy, I've been struggling recently with, with my mental health. You know, I've been having real negative thoughts, feeling depressed. And just him being so open and conversing and telling me how he was feeling, all of a sudden I thought, I'm not alone. I'm not going crazy. You know, I'm not insane. Actually, you know, the person that's probably closest to me in my life has been through very similar things, you know, you know, childhood events, etc. So he understand me better than most just him reaching out was like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders i started opening up to him a little bit which felt amazing you know and yeah. then i kind of followed that on so i carried on speaking about the struggles that i've been having with close family members then reached out to really close friends and the response i got from those people was just unbelievable they had no idea that I was struggling that way uh, because I've always been the strong person I've always been the person that everybody went to always been life and soul of a party so they had no idea and then I felt so good after those conversations that I thought well actually if I seek professional help it'll you know surely it'll help me feel even better and maybe get the tools to be able to cope with how I'm feeling I reached out to the NHS managed to get some counseling some therapy over over teams over zoom 
you know, it took probably a good six to 12 months till I started feeling quote unquote normal and started to be able to deal with just everyday stuff and, and feel just happier again and find joy and stuff. So what I wanted to do with this walk was give it a, a physical representation of what a mental health journey can be like. There was no ego. It wasn't, you know, I didn't make it as difficult as I could to prove some anything to anybody or, or to myself. It was more just to show people that maybe haven't struggled with mental health, show them physically what it can be like. You know, it's lonely, it's exhausting. You know, you feel like you're carrying the weight of the world on, on you all the time. It feels insurmountable to overcome. It feels like you can never get through it and you're always going to feel that way. So I set out from the Cenotaph in London, December the 5th on the Monday, and I finished on December the 9th on the Friday at the Cenotaph in Manchester. So it's a total distance of 350 kilometres. So I was doing around, you know, between 60 and 80 kilometres a day. And as I said, I made it as difficult as I could. So I was carrying all my kit and equipment, all my food, all my water. So it was about 20, 25 kilograms of kit on my back. I did it solo and I was sleeping rough every night as well. So I was sleeping in a tent. And as you, as you mentioned at the top there, it was it just, almost like, you know, it was almost irony that, oh, you want to make it difficult? Well, we'll make it also sub-zero temperatures as well. Um, so yeah. nature kind of helped me out and made it even more difficult. I think you and I had a, a couple of conversations yeah. whilst I was walking. And I think it, sometimes in the evening when I was in the tent, it was like minus six. Um, and it was just honestly Baltic. I could barely sleep. I was getting like an hour, maybe two hours sleep. Oh, my night. God. Absolutely freezing. I remember calling you and you were walking along it was on a Wednesday so it would have been halfway through the challenge yeah. and you said oh god it's it's painful <laughs> it's, <laughs> your feet I think we're blistering up at this point and uh, they've gone beyond blisters at that point mate. Yeah. honestly, yeah. honestly it, was, it was like walking on like broken glass and hot coals at the same time oh it my was, god it was so painful and it, it wasn't like you know you can get through today and get through an hour it was constantly just mentally reaffirming each step it was like just one more step put put your foot in front of me. another step another step but like i said the reason i made it so difficult is just to show people that this is what a mental health journey can be like but also you can get through it you know yeah. you can get through. there is a there is an end goal there is light at the end of the tunnel but i think as people but mainly as mental health and, and certainly suicide affects men more than it does women and i think that's yeah. just because you know, women will probably find help or seek help early on in that journey, whereas men tend to wait till they're, at, you know, in the valley of despair, you know, right yeah. at the bottom of that valley. And, and, you know, it feels like I said, impossible to get out of it. So the reason I did it and the reason I told my story so openly to, to the world was just to hopefully open up those conversations, show people that, like I said, they can get through it if they're struggling, but also get people to open up a little bit more and, uh, and, and try and get rid of that stigma around it as well so people don't feel ashamed and feel like they can just open up and you know if you were under the weather you would go to the pharmacist you would go to the doctor you would get something that would help it's exactly the same you know if you're struggling mentally there are services out there that can can help you get through it and I think mental health it's not visible obviously but it should be seen as as that kind of as like a, a little of a, of a normal illness that yeah. you know there's enough in in play now and there's enough knowledge out there that people can seek and, and find that can help them through it i know yeah. that you personally have struggled yourself but also kind of yeah. your family as well haven't you it's in the family and, and likewise you know my father struggled with with mental health sadly he died when i when i was 12 but i think that has an impact as well a little bit 
you know, yeah. watching him from such a young age struggle mentally. Absolutely. And, and one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on this show is because you have had that massive transition from, you know, in, in the army through to coming out, having to really figure out what your next steps were. And then that's a big, big change. And a lot of people will be listening to this. Like myself, for example, having been in that place where you mm. are in a pit and you don't know how to get out. And I think this, this is a, a business podcast, but it's, it's really important that we highlight the importance of managing your mental health and actually being vulnerable as well and, yeah. and speaking up about it. Um, and that walk for me, when you told me about it, it was, it, it brings hairs up at the back of my neck, actually, just, just even thinking about it. Cause the whole journey was, was really, really magical, but also like straining. Like I could see that it was a massive, massive experience for you and, like just going through that was fantastic. So tell me a little bit about how you felt before, during and after that walk. So I caught up with you during the walk, but what about the, the feeling right before? So the, obviously what people probably don't appreciate is the amount of work and training and sacrifice leading up to it. So for five months, I was going to the gym every evening. I go to the gym anyway, but I was doing strength training in the gym to make sure my body was, was strong enough and conditioned enough to, to carry the weight for the amount of time I was going to do it. And then every evening in the week, I was doing at least 10K with 25 kilograms on my back, 30, 50K Saturday, 30, 50K Sunday, weighted. So before it, I was exhausted. <laughs> I was really tired, but I almost got to the point where I couldn't wait to start it just so I could yeah. not train for it anymore. Just so the training would stop because it was relentless. And I did. I genuinely like committed my life to it it you was did. all I thought about it's all I did like my diet everything just fully focused on doing it and honestly I couldn't wait for it to start because I was exhausted from the training but getting into London and just before it the buzz the excitement of the yeah. event honestly it took hold it took control so much so that I think the first day I did 80 kilometers in 12 hours which yeah if people have ever run distances or ultras or marathons, they'll know that that is really quick. You know, I, was, I, was, I think I was doing, I was averaging six kilometers an hour with for, for the 12 hours. It was, it was quick with that weight yeah, on your yeah. back as well. It was, yeah. It was really quick. I paid for that the second day for <laughs> sure. Because <laughs> obviously you, at the first day one, you've got the excitement of the event. You know, we had some newspapers there taking pictures. All this buzz was there. We were walking through London. It was really busy and you can kind of gain energy and draw energy from all those things. Day two, we were in the arse end of nowhere and it was freezing cold. I got about an hour's sleep, barely any food in the evening because it was so late by the time we'd finished. The day two was the direct opposite. I was in yeah. so much pain. I was exhausted. I was probably a little bit malnourished at that point. And, and you're yeah. a big guy. You, your biceps are probably bigger than my head to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I need I need a lot to to sustain me, mate. But um, it, the difficulty was, mate, is is trying to get that amount of calories in. You, yeah. I was burning, I think, between eight and ten thousand calories a day. Oh, it was almost impossible to replenish that. I think I was probably averaging three, maybe four at a push. Um, yeah. So I was in a huge deficit, and then not really getting sleep. But like I said, I had a bigger purpose. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about how I was feeling. It was about trying to show people that are struggling that they can get through it. So every time I, you know, I felt like I couldn't carry on, 
I just thought, remember the, the people that this might influence or this might help. Even yeah. if it helps one person, that's one less person that's going to struggle or it's one less person that hopefully won't take their own life. So that kept me going. So before it, excitement. During it, ridiculous amounts of pain. It kind of taught me a lot about myself as well. Training for it, I've become really good friends with myself. I think having that positive affirmation is really important. I kind of got really friendly with myself, became really good friends internally with with who I was. It wasn't like, you can get through today, come on. It was more like, you can do one more step, one more step, yeah. one more step. The route itself was along A roads with no pavements. So we had cars just screaming past me. So the nerves were kind of up here. So day two, I think I just cried all day whilst I was walking, if I'm honest, because I was so exhausted. My emotions were up here, one, because of the reason I was doing it, but two, just because of the, the fear of the cars just kind of flying past me. So day two was really emotional. Day three, we had a bit of a reset, went to the National Arboretum, which was a once in a lifetime thing for me. I've always wanted to go. It was just amazing. And I seen a couple of names on the wall of some of the, the lads that were lost on my tour in Afghan, which again just kind of stoked the fires and it's like, let's, you know, come on, we can do this. So day three was a real pivotal point. Friday almost seemed easy because it was, you know, the whole street. So yeah, afterwards, I was exhausted, obviously, but I had so much energy and buzz because so many people came, yeah. you know, friends and family and people from the charities. Man United made me a a personal shirt, walk me the wounded number one on the back of it that I've got in my wardrobe still. Is so there's like little big Man United fan. Oh, love it. Oh, and they they uh, featured the walk on their website as well. Yeah, uh, yeah which they... was <laughs> overwhelming, really. To be honest, I couldn't believe it. So, yeah, big United fan. So to have all these things coming in, it just made those days a little bit easier. And, and like I said, finishing felt incredible, but also massively overwhelming it didn't really sink i don't think it still has sunk in if i'm honest if i'm really honest yeah. you know i got a lot of sleep a lot of rest over the, the next few days but i was back in work on the monday so I there was, was no, say, no rest of the wicked yeah <laughs> i was gonna say was it literally like just going straight back to the office on monday like well i worked from home on the monday because i could barely walk so yeah, was, oh, um, yeah i worked from home um, when i actually finished the walk i thought you know i'll have a couple of beers it'll be fine but i thought i'd have one or two and just go home i stayed out till like half 11 which I was, I was really impressed with myself with yeah yeah had a few beers i think i think the buzz of the event was still there but as soon as i got home i think i slept for like two days straight i mean that that should have been like pr coverage man walks from london to manchester for a beer <laughs> <laughs> yeah man refuses to pay london prices walks to manchester for a cheap beer so yeah it was cheap and cheerful that's really funny, but I'm honestly I'm like so proud of you for doing it, and um, it was amazing to first meet you. And it, it, if it wasn't for walking the wounded, we wouldn't have met. And we actually ran all of the social media activity for walking with the wounded throughout this whole walking home for Christmas campaign, which of course you were really really big part of. So um, thank you for being part of that and helping us with that journey. That was um, incredible. You know, I did. I genuinely didn't know it would get the reach that it would get. Honestly, mate, like I said, quite a humble guy. I just thought, I'll do this walk. You know, it might, hopefully it raise a little bit of money. It might raise a little bit of awareness, but it, it went way above all my expectations of what I thought it was going to be. And it, it turned into this, you know, this, this beast, you know, and it yeah. really did. And, you know, like I said, it was, it was humbling and, and overwhelming.
let's um, talk a little bit about the start of your career and the army. Tell us a little bit about your time in the army and if there's any kind of memorable experiences that you want to share with us that have kind of built you to who you are today and, and shaped you as that person. As a youngster, I was probably a bit of a scallywag, I'll be honest. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I did well in school. There was never any issues there. And, you know, I never did anything bad or illegal. But I was just a bit chaotic, a bit all over the place. And I, I knew that I needed discipline and structure. Went through high school, college, got great grades. And it got to the point where it was like, I could go to university. But I didn't know how I would be. If I went away from home at that point, I was so... Yeah wild that I was, I was almost like frightened of myself I didn't know what I would do or what I'd get up to so I made the decision to not go to university and join the military it, it just gave, gave me that structure that I needed that discipline that I needed taught me a lot about myself you know I trained really hard for it I trained for 12 months straight I was in, in incredible shape going into it so I prepared myself well but like I said it just gave me what I needed what I was searching is that that structure and also just meeting fantastic people that are still lifelong friends I've literally got off the phone to one of the lads that, that I serve with today he's working in recruitment he actually uh, recruits uh, veterans and service leavers and gets them into SMEs and multinational businesses a guy called Tom Fulton so it just gives you that bond with people as well that again that, that we're searching for and it just made me grow up and, and made me much more focused on what I wanted from life rather than just kind of stumbling through life. In terms of kind of like, there's no real big memorable moments, I think, that, that stand out. Obviously, serving my country overseas was was massive for me. The, the One of the main reasons I joined was I felt that just compelled to do my bit, go to Afghanistan and if I could do anything or influence anything or have an impact in any way over there, that, that was huge for me. But more the kind of memorable stuff would have been, you know, when you're passing out of phase one and phase two, friends and family coming to watch me do it. You know, my medals parade after Afghan, my friends and family there, watching me get, you know, a, a medal and honour, serving queen and country. You know, th there's so many kind of highlights. There's probably, there's not one that sticks out above, above mm. the others. It was just the exact experience that I needed. I always say to people that the two best decisions I've ever made in my life is joining the army and leaving the army because they achieved what I wanted to. I got what I needed from it. I was young enough at the time where I could still adapt and adjust to going back to civilian life and start yeah. a new career. That's often a, a challenging one, like we know with Walking with the Wounded. It really helped people to get back into being, I guess, civilians in this case, isn't it? I think I'm quite good at compartmentalising stuff, though. So yeah. for me, the army was ticked. I was done. Right, I'm back to being a civilian now. So I didn't really struggle with the transition. I know a hell of a lot of people do. And I can totally understand why. Because, you know, you go from being around your mates 24-7. You've got a structure. You know exactly what you're doing, yeah. when you're doing it, every single day. To go from that, all of a sudden, you've got almost nothing, no structure, no direction. You know, the lads are, that are still in are still cracking on and, and they're carrying on with their lives in the military. And all of a sudden, you just feel totally alone, even if you've got, you know, a wife, a missus, kids, partner, whatever, you just feel lost. So I can totally appreciate why people do struggle. We actually hired, I don't know if the stars aligned, but last year we hired someone that had just left the RAF, which was pretty magical. Oh, amazing mate that's that's brilliant i mean yeah I'm all, I'm all, i love kind of all veterans but rf 
there's, there's a saying, mate, the army digging, the RAF checking. <laughs> there we go. I'll have to tell him that tomorrow. <laughs> He'll love it. Checking in. <laughs> we love a bit of banter in the military, mate. That's what gets us through it. But it is it's that morale thing. It's just jokes and it's just to keep that morale up because, you know, in the military, you're away from your loved ones all the time, aren't you? So you need that, that morale boost. In terms of things that you've learned, if you were to go back and look at those days, what have you learned that kind of helped you through going from, you know, consulting in business banking and financial services right into recruitment? That's quite a transition. Well, I didn't consult in banking. I was a recruitment consultant within financial services. So I, I was working with the likes of Santander, HSBC, all the big kind of corporate banks, global banks. And I was basically a, a contract recruiter. So finding project managers, business analysts to work for those banks on a contract basis. But yeah, that's how I started. Then I, I, I kind of had, I, I spotted a bit of an opportunity that I thought I could combine two of my passions of sport and, and obviously recruitment. I kind of set up within the business a marketing digital media recruitment business specifically in sport working with sport clients so I worked at Manchester United for years probably why I managed to get on the our website for the walk and you know Liverpool Formula One etc like really great organizations but yeah I think I learned in the military it just gives you well-rounded skills you can kind of adapt to pretty much anything and learn really quickly because oh. you think phase one and phase two training that's in total was nine months so in, I went from a civilian that didn't know anything about the military. Nine months later, I was a corporal in the military police. I'd learned army soldiering skills in that time. I'd learned the law in that time and how to police. So it teaches you how to quickly take on information and become a, almost an SME really quickly. Yeah, so yeah. I think that foundation, when people do leave the military, they can almost do whatever they want to do. You know, if they've got an interest or a passion for something, they could absolutely learn really quickly and really add value to a business straight away. So I think the core foundations of the military set you up really well. And like I said, you know, I worked at a small boutique, became a director there after a couple of years in recruitment. I just got to a point, no, not, you know, there's nothing bad about the company. I just got to a point where I needed another challenge. I needed another step up. I needed something that was going to push me out of my comfort zone. And just as I was thinking that, one of the directors at Michael Page reached out, said he'd heard good stuff about me. And then, yeah, ended up kind of moving across and working for Michael Page. And, and if people don't know, kind of working at a small boutique, there was, you know, up to kind of 10 of us there to go to Michael Page, which is a global FTSE 250 company. It was it was almost like a, it wasn't recruitment. It was like a total different thing again. So again, I think I always seek things that push me out of my comfort zone. And it was absolutely the challenge that I was seeking. They must love having you on board. <laughs> maybe. Maybe right. Sundays, yeah. Maybe not. Depends <laughs> how much banter you're giving them on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> hey, mate, that was a big adjustment as well, even the army. It's like, oh, I can't say these things to normal people. Like, <laughs> <laughs> to normal people. <laughs> I've got to be like really nice, you know, there's some jokes that, that maybe got a bit, a bit fine. So uh, yeah, it, that was an adjustment. Um, I, was, kind of, I, I was going to say, what's the best bit of advice you could give to people that are actually leaving the army now, but maybe that's it. <laughs> don't, don't, don't make those jokes. Yeah, yeah, tone down the banter is probably the best advice that I could give. But uh, I suppose the best advice to give people leaving the military is, is try not to get overwhelmed yeah. with the transition. Reach out to people if you are struggling with the transition. 
there are so many you know foundations and charities walking with the wounded being one of them but there's loads out there and like i said my friend tom he's specifically now dedicated his career to helping people that are leaving the army get into work and stay in work so there are people out there that can help it's been a really really interesting episode so far what we like to do with rounding these up is we always ask one question at the end and that question is what is the best bit of advice you've ever received obviously i've listened to your podcast so i knew this question was coming and I've, i genuinely put a lot of thought into it and it's probably it's probably not advice that i've received directly but it's more of a saying that has helped shape me moving forward and, and yeah. how i focus on things is comparison is the thief of joy it's one of the i, I say it all the time i say it every day to myself as a little mantra it's about not comparing you your life and your journey to other people's because it will steal the joy from what you're doing it's about focusing on and comparing yourself to yourself you yesterday you a week ago you last year where are you now have you progressed if you've not why have you not progressed it's like a a self-analyzing thing rather than going on social media seeing you know these profiles that we know aren't always real you know they're not yeah the highlights of people's lives aren't they so you can be easily disparaged and discouraged and be put off your own track by looking at other people and oh you know i'm not doing as well as them or oh i've not gone on holiday like they have or i've not done you know, little things like that that add up and you end up putting a lot of pressure on yourself so for me it's just making sure that you stay focused on your journey you stay focused on your track don't worry about social media and what people are posting focus on yourself focus on what you want to achieve write down exactly where you are with work financially relationships write down your goals and then in a year look back and reflect and track your own journey rather than other people's i think that's a fantastic bit of advice and very different to what we've had on the show so far and and that the reason i asked that is because this show for me provides a high level of education not just for the listeners but for myself too so every time I'm learning and it's it's really fantastic and that's why I turn up more or less every week to try and push out one. <laughs> but and, but mate, if you, but like and again, you know, if you look at your journey on the podcast, if you look at your first one to your most recent one, the poles apart, you know, the journey that you've been on just on the podcast side of things, yeah, has been exponential. And I, like I said, I'm I'm really familiar with your journey because I've listened back to back to every single podcast that you've done <laughs> in one go when I was training, and um, I literally could hear the journey as it was evolving. So, uh, again, you know, it doesn't have to be big things that you're trying to achieve; just incremental steps. If it's you know you want to do ten thousand steps a day, if you want to do the pots before you go to bed, little things like this add up to a bigger change. Make your bed yeah. when you get up in the morning. Look, just little steps, little incremental steps will pay dividends, you know, in the, in the long run. Yeah, the micro moments will have a bigger outcome in the end. In terms of how people can find you, where do we look, Andy? If anybody wants to reach out, if that's to have a chat or if they're personally struggling with their mental health and they want any advice or any anything that's kind of, I can give them real world advice that's helped me you know, more than happy to do that. If you just want to search me on LinkedIn, it's Andy Schofield. I've got like a, it's a black and white picture of myself. If anyone wants to reach out, always send me a message. If I don't, I will get back to you eventually. Um, I promise. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're an inspiration to me and um, you've inspired many people, especially in the last two or three months with your big journey. And um, yeah, just want to say thank you. Until next time, guys, that's a wrap.
Cheers, guys. Thank you so much for coming back and listening to another episode of the Daily Hustle podcast. If you love this episode, please don't forget to follow us across our social media at the Daily Hustle official. And if you really love this show, then just press that little bell and get notified every time we release an episode. See you next time.